This episode of Hearsay is sponsored by the Wheels of Justice, a partnership against cancer, benefiting the Children's Colorado Center for Cancer and Blood Disorders. For more information, visit wheelsofjusticecycling.org. Most Coloradans can't afford the $12,000 the average divorce attorney costs, and divorce attorneys are well aware of that. Many of them have been trying different things to make themselves more affordable. Things like using different billing structures, offering services a la carte, or slashing their overhead by moving to virtual offices. It was only recently that these affordability measures got a name in Colorado, modern representation. But even as the Colorado Bar Association pushes more lawyers to adopt modern law practices, a lot of lawyers don't understand what it is. I sat down with Erica Holmes and Lauren Lester, two attorneys who did make the switch to bust a few myths about modern representation. And along the way, we talk about how it's not just about making clients happy. Erica and Lauren say it's making lawyers happy too. I'm Doug Chartier, and this is Hearsay from Law Week, Colorado. Erica Holmes practices family law in Denver. She went solo a few years ago after having an epiphany. So I was working um, in a medium-sized uh, firm downtown doing high-end divorce, and I you know, woke up one morning and was like, I am so miserably stressed out, and I realized that I couldn't afford to do my own divorce. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is just, it, it's not working. And so I quit, and I didn't know if I, my unhappiness was with the practice of law or how it was happening with the firm or with family law. Like I didn't know what exactly was making me so unhappy. So I took um, took me about four months of talking to everybody I know and researching different options to find this way of practicing law. Erica founded E.L. Holmes Legal Solutions, offering limited scope representation, also called unbundled legal services. Her clients pay her to do only the tasks they need help with. Instead of paying by the hour as they go, clients can decide up front what hearings Erica will attend or what briefings she'll work on, and for a flat fee. The idea is it keeps their costs lower and more predictable, and it keeps them engaged in their own case since they are often still doing a lot of the work. It didn't take long for Erica to realize that the client-centric structure of her practice had a lot of benefits for her too. But what I was quickly discovering that everything that I was doing that started off for the client was like just as good for me, if not better. So for example, like with the flat fee billing, I bill up front, well, I have 100% collection rate, so I don't have to deal with going after people for money. Um, and with doing the, um, the unbundled services, I get to do the tasks that I like the best and, like, and I just don't do the ones that I don't like to do. So I can very customize that. When it came to my virtual office, I was thinking, um, you know, I was doing it for my clients so that I could go to them and be um, more work around their schedule, work around their area. But what I realized is like, I have no overhead. In fact, I have negative overhead because I get to write off the desk in my apartment that I'm never there <laughs> to supposedly work at. So um, it was examples like that, that I realized that everything that I was doing for my clients, like I said, had a as good of, if not better, benefit for me as the lawyer. And that's why I'm getting so passionate and I want everybody to know about this because it's like, this is a different way of practicing law. It's great for everybody that's involved. And so that's where the really passion came was I saw that it's just reciprocal and it's just this win-win. For Erica, getting away from the billable hour was a career transition. But for Denver attorney Lauren Lester, 
It was the only practice model that made sense. Lauren launched her solo firm in family law and estate planning shortly after graduating from law school in 2015. Before starting Lester Law, she'd done research to figure out what kind of practice it was going to be. She concluded it wouldn't be the traditional kind. I had the aha moment one day that when I looked around at other lawyers to kind of see, well, what did I want to do? How did I want to build my practice? What did I want to look like as an attorney? I realized I couldn't afford myself if I practiced that way. And a lot of the folks that I talked to and, and researched, quite honestly, weren't happy. They were stressed out and they were overworked and a lot of them had left the practice uh, because of that. And so I knew that going into it, I didn't want that to be my ultimate outcome. So I said, okay, how can I do it a little bit differently? So Lauren did unbundled services and flat fee billing for 100% of her cases right out of the gate. She's kept at it ever since. So what exactly is modern representation? Lauren chairs the CBA's Modern Law Practice Initiative, and Erica's the immediate past chair, so they should be able to define it, right? They're actually still working on the definition, Erica says. The shortest answer I've been able to develop is that modern representation is using innovative means to provide affordable legal services. That's like the shortest that I can possibly get, um, but the kind of medium-sized answer is it's a win-win for clients and lawyers. It's providing innovative, client-driven, cost-effective legal services that empower lawyers to build a thriving practice. Lauren has another way of defining modern representation, and it depends on what the lawyer wants out of it. It's really asking themselves a lot of what-if questions. What if I didn't practice the way I've been practicing for 10 years? What if I didn't have an office? Or what if I worked with folks who looked more like me and not corporate clients? So for me, modern representation is just asking that question and then choosing what works best for you as an attorney versus looking at the one-size-fits-all traditional model and saying, I have to fit into that box to be successful. Modern representation isn't all about the flat fees and unbundled services, Lauren says. Or at least that's not the first thing attorneys should be focusing on when they're deciding whether to adopt it. The question that attorneys should first ask is, who do I want to serve? Is it single mothers? Is it teachers? Is it highly educated scientists? I mean, whoever it is, um, the attorney has the choice. And then once you define that kind of target market, you can look at what do those folks need and how can I provide the best service? And then what tools can help me do that? With modern law, the name is new, while many of the practices are less so. Lauren says she's talked to a lot of attorneys who tell her, flat fees? I'm actually doing that already. The term is new, and folks often don't identify it with it, but I think a lot of practitioners are doing this naturally. They just may feel like they're the only ones, or they're not quite sure if they're doing it right. And so putting a term on it kind of helps that community coalesce around it and come together and support each other. In talking with other attorneys about modern representation, Erica and Lauren have come across a number of myths about what it is and whom it's for. Myth number one, modern law is only for lower and middle class consumers. True, modern law practices set out early on to make legal work more affordable to that subset, 
but the gap between pro bono eligible clients and people who can afford most lawyers is broad. The bottom 20% of civil litigants can be covered by Colorado Legal Services and pro bono attorneys. The top 20% of earners can generally afford an attorney for anything they need. But what about the 60% in the middle? But this gap um, ranges from like 400% of the, of the poverty level to 600% of the poverty level. And even though we're using the term poverty level, 600% of the, pover of the um, poverty level is a family of four in Denver earning $94,000 a year. So this isn't just you know, for people that are you know, at minimum wage at all. In 2018, the U.S. Census Bureau revealed that 40% of adults wouldn't be able to cover a sudden $400 cash expense. Erica noted that $400 wouldn't get people very far anyway with a traditional attorney. Lauren said that even people we'd consider high earners need flexibility in their legal billing, too. The, the gap is much bigger um, than a lot of folks realize, and it's not just lower and lower middle income or even middle income, sometimes it's higher income or even high earners. Uh, and they have different reasons why they don't want to hire an attorney. Sometimes it is just cash, even though they're well-educated and they've got a house and a retirement plan, they've got three kids and a mortgage to pay and they just don't have $10,000 sitting somewhere to get divorced. And even if they did, what I also am starting to find is they don't see the value in that. That's not where they want to spend that $10,000 um, to hire a lawyer for whatever the reason is. What we're finding is that the market is, is demanding that they're getting more value for what they're spending their money on. So, I mean, I have clients who are millionaires. I'm doing prenups for them um, because they want a to get value for their money. They don't want to spend $350 an hour for, on an attorney when I can do just as a good job, you know, for quite a bit less than that. So it's the, it's the market that's starting to demand the value and it's not a given anymore that a lawyer is worth $250, $350 an hour. Um, and you can get the same quality work um, at an affordable rate. That's how people, I think, became millionaires in the first place. So, <laughs> Myth number two, it's ethically risky. There's something to that idea. When attorneys start messing with their traditional formula, there's more potential for things to go wrong and land them in disciplinary proceedings. With flat fees, it might be less clear when fees are considered earned. With unbundled services, a client might be unclear on what the attorney did or didn't agree to do for them and potentially file a complaint. But the Colorado Supreme Court has been clearing a path for attorneys to use modern representation. For 20 years, Colorado's ethics and procedural rules have allowed lawyers to limit the scope of their representation. For just as long, the Colorado Supreme Court has let lawyers ghostwrite pleadings for people who otherwise have no attorney. Just this year, the court adopted a new ethics rule that outlines how to do flat fee agreements. The limited scope representation has to be quote-unquote reasonable. In some cases, like a complicated child custody matter, the lawyer probably isn't doing the client any favors by only stepping in at a couple points in the process and leaving that person pro se the rest of the way. Lauren said the risky part of unbundling is when the attorney doesn't make the limited scope crystal clear with the client from the outset. But where I think folks get into trouble is that they don't communicate that well to the client. And since the clients know attorneys either from television or from what they've heard from friends and traditionally they hold they represent them over the entire case 
If you're only doing a limited scope, it's really important to outline in layman's terms exactly what tasks you're going to complete for the client. And then if there's something that the client is then responsible for that they will need to complete that you're not going to take care of, it's really important from the beginning in an engagement letter to list that out so that the client is crystal clear, go over it with them, make sure that they understand. Clear communication up front makes it easier for Lauren to go back to the client later when things change, like if the opposing party files for temporary orders. That draws out the case and makes it more expensive, but the client should understand that, Lauren says. It's their case and their money, ultimately, but you lay out the facts and I've never had a client in that situation go, well, I thought it was included. They always say, oh, no, I totally get it. It wasn't included. You know, I'll handle it on my own or yes, I want to add on. That representation so it really just comes down again to communication and client expectations with limited scope as long as the attorney is offering something that's reasonable and that should be on us and we should know how to do that as practitioners erica who used to work at the office of attorney regulation said there are not more disciplinary cases involving lawyers who use modern law practices she also said if unbundling and flat fees really were riskier than full scope representation there'd be a reliable way to tell. Also with malpractice insurance, there's no um, higher rates for people that are doing modern representation. Um, so the malpractice companies, I would be, think would be the first to jump on <laughs> if there was danger that was involved with this. Um, and there, there's no difference um, whatsoever um, in terms of your malpractice insurance. Then there's the idea that it might rub judges the wrong way if they see a lawyer doing unbundling, appearing at some hearings, but not others. That hasn't been the case in Erica's experience. And this was actually a surprise to me because before I went into private practice, I worked with the Denver District Court um, for four years and got to know a lot of different judges and was you know, concerned um, how they would take it. They love it. Um, any help that you can get to um, pro se parties, whether it's in the courtroom or outside of the courtroom, anything that you can do to help that process work better, they are thrilled with it. Myth number three. Flat fees are less profitable than billing by the hour. New numbers are starting to challenge the conventional wisdom on the billable hour, Lauren said. Last year, Clio, the law firm software, reported that the average lawyer does only two and a half hours of billable work a day and on a 50-hour work week. That means six-plus hours that were quote-unquote billing, we're not actually earning anything on. So while the billable hour may seem profitable, if the money's not coming in, it's not profitable. You can charge $1,000 an hour, but if not, no one's paying that, even if you send an invoice, you're not really getting anywhere as a business. You're not bringing in the revenue. That's the other thing. By charging all fees up front, the flat fee lawyer has a 100% collection rate. So I try and tell folks, listen, I know we've used the billable hour for a long time, but there are other ways to do it. And that really opaque, not predictable way of billing, clients are now becoming more, um, more intellectual about, and they're pushing back and saying, no, I actually need more of a hard number. I need to budget for something. And so if folks um, shift away from what do I need to bill by the hour because that's what my colleague is doing so I must have to do that to be profitable and still and instead look at what their hourly cost is to run the business 
that will give them more of a sense of what they actually need to bill. And if they even move a step further away from that and get away from the billable hour and instead look at their services in terms of the value they're providing, um, they may be able to implement something like flat fees or subscription billing so that the client gets that predictability, it's more transparent, and the attorney may find that that's actually more profitable because they've baked in the actual cost they need to cover overhead, salaries, um, and that they're giving a client a valuable commodity, essentially in a service that the client's willing to pay for. We're not losing money because we're not collecting it. So at the end of the day, in a lot of ways, it can be more profitable to get away from the billable hour. The Modern Law Practice Initiative used to be called the Modest Means Task Force. One of the reasons the CBA changed the name, Erica said, is that to lawyers, modest means gave it the air of a nonprofit practice where you're not expected to make that good a living. You can make good money. And um, in fact, for me, the first full year that I was doing this, I made more money than I did doing this than I did when I was an associate at the firm. What makes a lot of attorneys nervous about flat fees is the risk they'll lose money on cases that wind up taking more time than they build for up front. Lawrence said that's bound to happen from time to time, even with the most accurate data-driven pricing models. But attorneys can price different services pretty reliably, she added. If they've been billing by the hour, they've amassed data they can use to spec out how long different cases should take. And if they're experienced, they should be able to tell from the outset when a case looks like it'll become an outlier. Lauren knows some telltale signs of a divorce that could take more time than her typical case. One of the things I look for is how the parties have up to this point been able to work with one another. Um, so that's a question that I always ask, are you able to be in the same room or is it something where one text sets the both of you off and you can't talk to each other for a week? So that gives me a good sense of how likely are they to hopefully reach an agreement um, with some of that coaching or um, information that they may not have right now. Myth number four, modern law is only suited for family law. Being family lawyers themselves, Erica and Lauren would say their practice area has been especially quick to adopt modern law practice, but they've seen it expand from there. I have seen it now with transactional attorneys, small business, business litigation, family law, criminal law, startups, tech, um, intellectual property, real estate, estate planning, probate, juvenile, adoption, uh, environmental law, animal law, which I didn't even know was a thing, um, attorney ethics and regulation, um, landlord tenant, social security. I mean, it is anywhere that someone wants to try it. I have certainly found that um, the business attorneys in particular are another area that have really gotten creative and found ways to serve their clients because much like kind of the everyday consumer, startups and small businesses in particular don't have a lot of money either. Um, so they don't have $25,000 to get their business set up. So a lot of business attorneys that I've chatted with um, have used a lot of limited scope, certainly flat fees because businesses also have budgets. Um, but I've also seen a lot of subscription-based billing with business consumers. And so the attorney will set maybe three different tiers of service levels that each come with a monthly price that the attorney will do some amount of work within that tier. So the business knows what the cost will be. They know what the attorney is going to do for them. And maybe every month it looks a little bit different. Um, maybe one month it's drafting a 
um, operating agreement, maybe the next month it's reviewing a contract from a vendor, but it's within a scope that the um, attorney has defined and that the business consumer obviously understands. And it's great from a cash flow perspective because the attorney always knows what's going to come in every month because they've got all these subscriptions set up. Um, so that's been a really um, fun to see it in a different area, uh, but the business attorneys out there have been doing a great job finding creative ways to serve their clients. I, I truly do believe that every practice area can instill these tenants somehow. Um, we all may not look the same, but that's okay. That, that's kind of the point. Regardless of whether an attorney adopts modern law practices, the point Erica and Lauren seem to be making is that if attorneys are struggling with the traditional model, there's another way to do things. The name I can see kind of modern makes you think, oh, well, if we were doing it the traditional way, that's somehow bad and we're trying to differentiate ourselves. And I don't think that's the intention at all. I think what the purpose of it is, is to say, we need to find a different way of practicing for whatever reason, whether it's the justice gap, which certainly needs to be helped, whether it's the fact that attorney wellness is just not doing well right now, as we all kind of know, the stats are really um, heartbreaking, or just to have really smart, um, different folks who have a lot to offer to this profession, but maybe just look at what traditional lawyers look like and go, well, that's not me, and so I guess I don't fit into this profession when they do. So I think it's um, much more encompassing, and I'd, I'd like folks to realize that they belong and how they want to practice fits under modern law because it works for them. It's not about um, even fitting into a modern law box. It's really much more fluid than that. And I just um, hope that folks kind of take that moment and ask themselves those what if questions and say, well, if I could have more choice and more autonomy over how I practice, how would that look differently? And then look out to the community, find resources, find other folks to talk about, well, how can I actually implement that so that they enjoy practicing law again? Well, and the other thing that you need to, to calculate in there is the value of being happy. Um, so you, you know, are you gonna make what, you, is everyone that's doing modern law gonna make what you would in the big firm? No, it's just, I, I don't see that happening. Um, but how, happy are you <laughs> like versus the people that are working in the big firm. So there's a value to be put on that also is on sanity and how much time you're spending and money you're spending on therapy. So <laughs> put that into the equation. I'm Doug Chartier for Hearsay. This episode was produced by Julia Cardi and Hannah Blotter with story editing by Tony Flesser. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud.